This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Americans have been talking about inflation for more than a year now. Whatever the cause, this is our current reality. So what can we do to protect our personal finances right now? We'll see what Nancy and Ryder have to say. They're also ready for your other money questions. Contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. Got a couple of callers on the line early, so why don't we begin with call, uh, talking to John, who is calling in from Ridgeland. Good morning, John. You're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you. I'm calling from the magnificent Chateau Ridgeland in Ridgeland, Mississippi. I have a question, and I have a comment. I'd like to make the comment first. I want to recommend the book. The book is called Money, The True Story of a Made-Up Thing. Oh, I know it. Jacob, yeah. Jacob Goldstein. It, it's hilarious. It's witty. It's wise. And it's explained to me lifelong mysteries, such as what William Jennings Bryan was talking about in the Cross of Gold speech and what the Federal Reserve is. It would make a wonderful Christmas gift. Right. I have that book, and it was recommended to me and given to me by a client. And uh, you're right. It is it is really interesting, and this idea that it is just all made up is crazy. What it's was hilarious, your- too, and it's true. Now, a question. Uh, I understand we old-timers are due for a raise in Social Security. Could you tell me how much? Oh, I think that was, um, gosh, was it 8.7%? We're checking on it to be sure. That came out a few weeks ago. And we also heard that at the same time they released the Medicare premiums. And because of this weird um, crossing over the pandemic uh, and making up for some differences earlier, that the Medicare premiums are, I believe, set to go down. So that combination is very unusual. Often we have a raise in Social Security. Much of it is eaten up by that increase in those Part B premiums. Ryder, what do you have? Yes. So the 8.7%, Nancy, was spot ah, on. So, and, and it's important to remember, this is just the, the an increase broadly over everyone because that's the inflation adjustment. And so that also impacts if you are doing your retirement planning and say last year you checked your Social Security benefit, what it would be, that is also adjusted up. It's, it's just basically all their baseline numbers are adjusted up. All right. Thank you so very much. That clarifies things nicely. Thank you. Thanks, John, for your phone call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines here for just a bit. Off to Memphis we go next. Daryl is on the line. Good morning, Daryl. Go ahead, please. Good morning, 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 Tom's family. Good morning. Um, I, good morning, everyone. 
I recently opened up an account for my uh, grandson who was three months old. I want to know at what point should I start worrying about paying taxes on the uh, dividends. So that's going to depend a lot on what type of account, Daryl. Was it it just a custodial account? Is it an account that's actually in your name? Uh, Is is it an IRA type? What type of account did you open up? Well, it could be an IRA because, of course, he's not working. Mm -hmm. But uh, it is a custodial account. Uh, and thank you for clarifying that for me. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, it is a custodial account, and uh, it's it's already earning interest. Uh, but I just want to know at what age, well, at, at what time should I be, be concerned about uh, paying taxes? Sure. Yeah. So one thing to keep in mind, it's not exactly an age thing. And any children's, uh, if any any child's income is going to flow through to uh, whoever is claiming them as a dependent on their taxes. Uh, so just, of course, depending and, – and when the taxes start will depend on how much is earned. Uh, so children have a different standard deduction. I believe they have a smaller standard deduction than um, adults, and it will just depend on who – if there, if if he is on his parents' taxes, that he is a dependent of his parents, or if he is a dependent of you, it'll flow through to your taxes. They will send tax reports, just like any other account, uh, probably February or March next year, just depending on the institution, and you'll be able to see if that has an impact on your taxes at that point. Okay, so the tax burden will fall on on either myself or the parents, depending on who. Uh, claims the exemption. Generally speaking, yes. And the statements, I can recall for the statements to let me know how much, uh, how, how, how to file for the taxes. Yes. And, and so long as there is, well, so an institution is required to send a 1099 if there is over $10 in interest. Uh, so if it's already earning interest, I hope it's earning a lot of interest. I hope he's going to be a very wealthy three-month-old. Um, and so they will be sending that 1099 in February or March. Uh, and generally speaking, um, I, I don't know that it's going to have a, a huge impact again because there is some exception – and again, I don't have all the numbers right in front of me. Uh, some exception for a child's income, exactly for situations like that, just so that people don't really have to worry too much about uh, how much interest they are earning in their child's bank account. Okay, now one more thing. Uh, uh, is there a source I can go to to, to get this information? Absolutely, irs.gov. That's that is that is the source for all information about taxes. Um, I will say, if you work with a tax preparer or a CPA, they can probably tell you these numbers off the top of their head in a way that I cannot. Uh, but irs.gov is going to be the source to look for. Well, I, and I believe at some point that child can then be a separate legal entity, I think around 14, maybe even, oh, it could be 17. I cannot remember exactly, excuse me here, Daryl, but, um, and then so whatever interest is earned on that account, 
would be based on all of their earnings, which means they probably won't pay any taxes on it. But that would also probably mean you'd have to file a separate tax return in order to do that. So, um, again, what Ryder said, you need to check with your tax preparer on that and uh, find out if there is a benefit at some point. You've got a long way to go, though. Okay. Thank, thank you all. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Ryder. And uh, thank you, Kevin. All right, Daryl, thanks for the call. Appreciate uh, hearing from you this morning. We've got some open phone lines if you have a personal finance question or specifically one related to inflation this morning. So, Nancy, what uh, caught your eye in financial news this week? Oh, my goodness, Kevin. I'm just watching the saga at Twitter unfold, and it's just a new one every day. So um, Twitter was a public company, meaning they offered shares to be purchased on our public marketplace. So anybody could buy shares and be an owner in Twitter. And when you become public, you have to follow all kinds of rules. It's all about disclosure, disclosure disclosure. Everything has to be out there. Um, It's under the SEC as far as the regulation. But in this case, what Musk and a small group of investors did is they took Twitter private. So they bought out those public shares and that small group now controls everything. And so they don't have to report to the SEC uh, like you would with a public company. It's just up to, they only disclose what they have to, to their small group of investors. They can basically do whatever they want. It is a private company. And of course, when they purchase Twitter, one of the ways Anytime you have a merger, a purchase, you can just expect to have big layoffs because that's how you cut expenses and increase your bottom line. So they had these huge layoffs, told everybody to stay home, I think, last Friday. And then they went, oops, uh, we need some of you to come back because we can't run things. And now the most interesting thing in all of this is Musk is trying to totally change the business model of Twitter. So Twitter was really about data collection and advertisement and everything was free and so now he's talking about a subscription base where if you have one of those little blue check marks you have to pay so much a month i'm not sure this is going to work i think there are a lot of um companies that tried some sort of subscription models with things that used to be free and people just go the other way so this is going to be interesting to see what happens and uh for myself personally i looked at how much time i was spending on Twitter and sucking up uh, time during the day that I could be doing something useful and said, I'm deactivating. So so what are you going to do with all that time? Nancy? I don't know. Are you going to just spend that time trying to find memes elsewhere? Like, could where, be, I mean, come be. on, where, uh, where are you going to get your memes from? TikTok, something like that, yeah. <laughs> so if I had owned shares in uh, Twitter... Yes. They were bought out. What if I didn't want to sell? Well, Too bad. Yes. Okay. Yes. Buddy. Because <laughs> the, the majority of people get to decides if it goes private or not. Mm-hmm. And so they decided it would go private. And mm-hmm. once that happens, you're just going to have cash that's dumped into your account. And those shares are gone. And that's a, that's an interesting point about what if I didn't want that to happen. And that's going to happen in any sort of business arrangement. And and so that's why the, the rules, the bylaws, the articles of incorporation of Twitter lay out – how many people need to vote for or against that sort of thing. So yes, they do have a shareholder vote on that. And that's, I believe that's one of 
the few binding shareholder votes that you can have and or, or again as laid out in the articles of incorporation and and you can read that you can you can know about that before you go into it so if you're like I want to buy this company I want to be a part of this company but I only want to be a part of it if I can never be bought out unless Everyone agrees. Well, you can. I don't know if anyone has. You're not going to get that, that. Yeah. but most of it's a majority or a super majority of some sort. And then, do you get the price per share of whatever it was trading at? Well, whatever it was agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when when there's a, a a sale like that, there's an agreed upon price per share, and mm-hmm. that's what happened with Twitter. Um, and so you just get that money, and it, it's typically bought at a premium. Of course, you have to. In order to buy all the shares, you, you got to offer someone more than it's trading at to incentivize them to. I want to say Twitter was around $45 when an offer was made, and the offer was for $54.20. And that's a, that's a typical kind of premium, uh, 20-something percent premium. And of 10 course, to 20% is kind of typical. What happens when that, that offer was announced, right? The price goes up too close to that price yeah. typically i think this one it bounced around a lot more than usual because there are a lot a we lot weren't more sure it was going to happen there's yeah. a lot more uncertainty over it uh, but for instance there was a a merger of a, a or a purchase of a local mississippi company sanderson farms was purchased and then that was announced last year and that price went up to the purchase price and pretty much stayed yeah. there the whole time because people were pretty confident it was going to happen. There's always some legal hoops to jump through and you see if there's really bad news, it might dip, but but for the most part, in a clean and simple, yeah, this merger is going to happen, you expect it to go close to that price and just hang out there until that purchase goes through. All right, this is Money Talks. If you have a question for our experts today, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're discussing inflation. What about inflation around the world? How about the United Kingdom? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. According to Investment Monitor, the annual inflation rate as of August 2022 in the U.K. was 9.9 compared to 8.3 for the U.S. So this is not just a problem that we are having here, uh, but going on around the globe. We're kicking them while they're down, aren't we? (laughs) Why not? That's the best time to to do it. (laughs) All right. uh, An announcement here or uh, uh, some information that our producer Liz just gave to us. It says the winning numbers for the record $1.9 billion Powerball jackpot have yet to be announced after the drawing was delayed. The delay was initially caused by one participating lottery that needed extra time to complete required security protocols. Who was, who was protocols. it, Kevin? Who was it? Who's it messing this up? Say. I want to know. I want to know what. The, that's a lot of money. It's going to be really exciting. We don't. We probably won't find out who got it. It'll probably ruin their life. But like, it's really exciting for a moment there, right? <laughs> Ruining their life. That's the exciting part, what, right? Lotteries, We're kicking them when they're down. Yeah. I generally, mean, they do. It's surprising. You're, someone's going to get a billion dollars after tax, and they're probably going to spend it all in like two years on like candy or something. No, it's on, be crazy. on all of their family members who all are lining their, up at their doors. All their family members' <laughs> candy. It's, I mean, it seems like it's really, really hard to do, but lotteries are typically, they don't... <sighs> I, and I don't know. Well, it, see, it comes in, into all of the research I'm fascinated by. Mm-hmm. Uh, does money buy happiness? 
And um, the answer is up to a certain mm-hmm. level, and the level is just to cover your bills, because if mm-hmm. you can't cover your bills and cover the basic expenses, it's pretty miserable. But beyond that, the answer is no. Right. And 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 you have to be – when you have a windfall with that, it's so important to be truly disciplined about it. And, and especially – most lottery winnings are not a billion dollars at a time. They're maybe a couple hundred thousand or even a couple million dollars. And it is surprisingly easy, even for someone who does not normally spend that much money, to blow through that sort of thing. So you just have to be extraordinarily disciplined about how you take and spend that absolutely work with a good team of professionals around you. One, call an estate lawyer because you might want to have that in a trust. You might want to, and they are going to help you with the privacy situation there. Call an investment advisor, a financial planner, a fiduciary financial planner who is going to help you manage that well and also help you understand how that affects your cash flows through your life. Uh, and then maybe the last person to call is like an accountant because, of course, you're going to have some taxes yes. to pay and you want to know what that number is. Maybe want to get some estimates in there too. So my guess is that if you win, those people are going to be calling you and you don't have to call them. Is that uh, some of them? That is why you call the estate attorney first to make a make a trust that can claim it anonymously for you. I think that's going to be the most important uh, part of it. You want, and, and, and you want it to be a team that you can trust because, again, this is if this is a lot of money to you, and I hope a billion dollars is a lot of money to you. If a billion dollars is not a lot of money to you, please call in during drive time, and uh, <laughs> our call screeners will take your they questions, help here. and we could kind of sort that out for you. We can we make that uh, easier for you. So, so yeah, I think anon- uh, anonymity is going to be a big part because, again, like Nancy said, people are going to be knocking down your door uh, right. for this stuff, and it, you're going to be a, you're going to probably uh even if it's even if you do want to share with your family uh you really don't want to get on the radar of uh of of criminals because especially if this is a big change in your life you're probably a lot more vulnerable than someone who has been working towards this wealth and understands this wealth or who has grown up in this wealth and kind of knows already has a team in place to protect them so that's those are those are my uh, scattered bits of advice uh, or alternately just bring bring the ticket to me and I'll totally totally help you out our producer, Liz Gill, reminds me that the August 29th, 2017 um, uh, podcast of Money Talks talked about what to do if you win the lottery. And I do remember that. We actually had a scratch card in the studio. Oh, yeah. That we didn't win anything. And we didn't win. No, we did not. And we didn't win. And that's why I never gambling, play. Gambling live I, on air. <laughs> I look at the odds and go, no way. Uh, it says all 48 participating lotteries. Now, does that mean that all but two states have adopted a lottery? Basically, yes. I, I wonder what two Al- states don't. Al- I don't think Alabama does. I forget the other one. Interesting trivia question. Yeah. Okay. We uh, were one. Of, we were, I think, the forty-seven. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were way down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah. 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 Okay. Here's an email. This one says, "My mother has recently come into some money from a land sale. She has been what is called a starving artist for much of her life. She wants to use the money smartly to help her get by for as long as possible." We're looking at I-bonds for part of it. Are there other accounts you recommend with reasonably high security and decent yields? Also, how can we protect from tax burdens as much as possible? Well, if she's a starving artist, taxes are probably not going to be an issue. Um, But I don't know how much we're talking about here. Um, I think probably she needs to sit down with a financial advisor and look at 
what does this money need to do for me? Does it need to generate a certain amount every month to help supplement my income? Does it need to sit somewhere and be mm-hmm. there for me when I age and I need mm-hmm. help on a full-time basis? So those are all kinds of things you have to think about. And depending on those answers, that kind of directs you as to what type of investments you need to do. This person mentioned an I-bond. Well, you can only do that for $10,000 per person. So um, you know, if it's much more than that, you've got a lot of room there to work with. Yes, you can stick with some safer uh, investments. You can do some certific- certificates of deposit right now. Uh, we're seeing 3 4% depending on the maturity dates. So you can go for treasuries. But again, you have to go back and look at how old is this person? What is the goal for this money? How long does it need to last? And probably have some sort of balanced approach. What do you think, Ryder? Again, I was going to echo some of that. Just like you said, without knowing kind of what does what sort of income does she have? Does Social Security cover or any pensions or any other income she, she has? She may not be old enough to collect Social Security. So maybe not. Maybe we we don't. We she <laughs> may not have qualified for Social Security. So and one thing that's important. So that that's a really good point. If she's not old enough to collect Social Security, she probably has a long time horizon in front of her. One mistake I see a lot of times is people do say things like. We are looking with for high security and decent yield, but then it turns out they have maybe they're going to have thirty or forty more years to live, and that this money they're going to depend on, and and over that sort of longer time horizon, typically over ten years or so, I would say some of your money you're probably going to want to invest in stocks. Yes, that can fluctuate. No, that is not guaranteed in any way. But historically, over ten to fifteen year time horizons. We don't see, uh, again, just looking at the American stock market over those rolling periods, we do not see many periods where there is a decrease in the value and the more often uh, the the most likely outcome is actually fairly good increases. So, yes, we're we're getting great yields on short-term investments, yes. But 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 we also have inflation at over 8%. Right. So so inflation will eat some of that up. But so consider what does she need in the short term? what, what are things she needs now? Mm-hmm. Set that set some of that aside. What does she need in the short term, say, over the next few years? What are her living expenses looking like? What needs to be supplemented? And then what does she need in the long term? And the long term not only includes, say, a decade or two in the future, that income, but also includes long-term care expense. That can be some of the most expensive stuff it, it, anyone has uh, and also does she want to gift some of this money does she have charitable aspirations does she want to leave some to her children i see it as signed loving son um full disclaimer this i did not actually write this um though i am one so yes um so think about what those sort of buckets and different time horizons are before you really just throw it all in some I-bonds or throw it all in some bank CDs and, and really miss out on, on, on a truly well-developed financial plan. This is really kind of one of the basic things that y'all do as financial planners, I guess, though, is if someone has a situation like this, they come to you and you help them think out what well, to do. Absolutely, yes. What we spend a lot of time doing is asking questions and listening mm-hmm. and to really find the answers that Ryder was talking about. And once we have those answers, then we can have some idea of how to build a portfolio that will be the solution. 
And I think that is one of the most interesting things about the job is having someone paint that picture of what their future looks like. And then not everyone always knows what they can do, what they need, what's possible. We see a lot of this and and can help them paint that picture. And then we say, okay, now here's the problem solving part. Uh, How are we going to get this windfall and this part to meet your needs over the next however many years? And I think our producer, Liz, found the list of the participating states with a lottery? Or the ones who are not participating. Oh, I was going to guess Utah. Oh, yeah. So she says five states, Utah, Nevada, Hawaii, Alaska, and Alabama do not have a lottery. A mix of reasons have kept them away, including Um, Alaska doesn't need a lottery. They all get a check every year (laughs) from the the permanent fund. That's true, because that oil money. That Um, oil money. Utah, not too surprising. Nevada, because they don't want it to conflict with their casino industry. That's a big one. Yeah, and and even in Mississippi, the casinos were a big, uh, argued against against the lottery a long time. I don't know how they feel about it now, but uh, one thing they've done is I know, especially on the Gulf Coast, and even the uh, Philadelphia casinos have done a good job of marketing out of state. I don't know what their kind of in-state, out-of-state revenues look like. Uh, Alaska, right? They don't need it. Hawaii, I guess. I guess they're just they so probably laid back. Have, they probably, they're I just mean, so laid back. Tourist money. They probably don't have a special need for it. And a lot of um, a lot of states have used lottery money and they've gotten lotteries to be passed by earmarking some of that for education. For education. Yeah. We did that here in Mississippi. I remember hearing when Georgia first launched their lottery, they actually was so successful as essentially if, if you have a certain GPA in any Georgia high school, you go to college for free. So, so there are that sort of benefit that's at least touted. I, I don't know that it actually ends up giving well, more flexibility but, or money But let's to also remember a, a lottery, when you buy a lottery ticket, you are basically paying a tax. Oh, yeah. It, yep. Lots of tax there. So I would guess there must be some regional. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how with that list it jibes with 48 lotteries in the Powerball. I'm not I'm not I sure. I don't know. Maybe okay. maybe we I don't have know. we need a listing. Washington DC, but that's we're still missing Puerto Rico. Guam, Puerto Rico, maybe Guam. they participate. I don't know. Right. We're going to yeah, we're going to need to get to the bottom. We're going to do a whole show investigating. Inquiring minds want to know. That's, yeah. that's again, what I'll say. Again, again, who's holding it up? Who's holding it up, Kevin? I speak up. <laughs> Speak up. They know it's your winning ticket, so they're just making you suffer. That's what it is. They're kicking you while you're down. All right. uh, We're looking for your personal finance questions. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about inflation today. What's the current inflation rate of Turkey? We'll have that for you next. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. According to Investment Monitor, the annual inflation rate as of August 2022 in Turkey is 80.2%, compared again to the U.S. 8.3%. So, um, they have a problem. Yes. They have a problem. And when you reach those levels, that's when you really start spending everything now because you feel like the price is going to be higher tomorrow. And so that gets into quite a spiral then. So uh, we've kind of gotten sidetracked, but in, in, in not um, But an interesting topic. way. Right, yeah. right. So, Again, thanks to the Powerball. <laughs> 
So we might kind of just briefly touch on inflation, but uh, we might pick that up again next week because, as Ryder, you were saying there is a, an inflation report coming out next week? So there will be an inflation report out Thursday, so we'll it'll have just, just fresh numbers. Of course, we get one every But they're always old, even though they're fresh, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the one that will come out uh, this Thursday – I believe it's going to – no, that's going to be October numbers. Right, so but, but we're in November. They they do try to move pretty quickly with producing these reports, and it's really fascinating. There is a very good Planet Money podcast on on how they are putting these numbers together. And some of it is, is a little unclear. Some of it's kind of proprietary crunching of the numbers, but they – very often people will go out to stores and shops and look online and actually find – prices of specific things and if they notice something really weird with the data they'll have to go back and say oh did you did we look at the right brand of butter when we went into this store it's it's just really fascinating how they collect that data they do try to get it all in and and and, um and collate it pretty quickly to generate this report. I mean, it's an extensive report. You can you can see prices of everything. I think that's a really fun thing to do sometimes. So, right if I remember correctly, last Tuesday you left the studio en route to the airport, if I'm right. I did. So, I went to the Schwab slash TD Ameritrade conference. So, this is, of course, just kind of a long hour business. Uh, the, this is uh, who a lot of our clients' investments are with. And, and they cover all sorts of things. Uh, first, the one of the most exciting things about the conference is as it was wrapping up on Thursday, I stepped outside and there was snow. Isn't that falling. fun? Yeah. Which really just kind of made it a nice, pleasant atmosphere as we wrapped up. And so that was nice. And then it was just really cold the next day. And it's really um, hot here. And <laughs> I came home and it was, it was, a, it was, the weather was a lot different here. Um, so, uh, but the content of the conference is always very good. Uh, so, uh, some of the things they talk about, trends in investments, trends in how to run a business like this, because there's all different flavors of businesses and investments, and then trends in customer service. And I always say, we were talking about this in the office yesterday, I'm always a little wary of the trends in investments, because there's kind of the tried and true, classic, well-managed funds, kind of academic research behind it that doesn't radically change year to year, but there will be always some fund company who's like, yes, do all of that tried and true classic fixed income equities, but then have, and a, what was it? have a slice of whatever we're offering this day. And and so a lot of times, so it's going to be whatever has done really well over the past six to 12 months, which is energy, commodities, things like that. These trends can sustain for a little while, but that not forever. And so at some point, we do kind of expect these things to revert back to historical trends. Uh, of course, energy and commodities are going to be part of a broader portfolio anyway, but people advocating for, oh, commodity fund, this commodity fund, or this alternative fund, or this private investments. I'm always wary of private investments. It's just It's a, just a great way to hide bad things, I think, sometimes. So I'm always a little wary on the new trends and in investments. Yeah, and I think there was a push for cryptocurrency, so mm-hmm. that's still a hot topic. I will um, say the push for cryptocurrency was not as strong this year. See, again, it's it's all about what is trendy right now. It's not that, as strong this year. And crypto hasn't done as well Absolutely. this year. It was huge in 2020. Absolutely. Everyone was saying half your portfolio has got to be in crypto or you're just going to get left behind. And boy, if you had done that, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. That's why always... 
you know, I'll, I'll, I like seeing what's out there. I like understanding what's out there, but I also also like poking holes. <laughs> so that's that's how I approach the investment side. Um, the the practice management is always interesting. It, it's most of it's just kind of standard. You, you move into digital tools. Everyone's got a tool for this and a tool for that, and and some of it's useful, some of it's not. Outsource services. It, it's interest again interesting to learn and see how other people are running practices because we do want to be efficient and effective about what we do. But most importantly, they talk about the end user investor. So these are for us. These are our clients, and and how can we provide that personal touch? How can we provide that good customer service? How can we provide that deep value that people really need that's going to going to really help grow their wealth and change their financial life? I was uh, the one manning the office while they all took off, Kevin. And I, so I, I made was, sure to keep her busy. I, uh, I, I, I got so many things on the schedule for. But I uh, listened to them talk yesterday and the guy who was the character in Catch Me If You Can, um, Frank... <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, right. Nancy. But, uh, Frank, yeah. Frank Abagnale, the Who con man from Catch Me If You the Can. The con man. So he was there talking about identity issues and how to protect all of your information. Mm-hmm. He's written a book. So that was really fascinating to hear yeah. that. And, and that's, a, that's a huge thing. People, more and more uh, people are concerned about security. It's getting a bigger and bigger issue. There are lots of inbuilt protections. But of course, there's a lot for us to watch out for and be wary of. If you get an email from a client asking for money, is it really them? How do you verify that it's them? And and just for the truly, truly the person who knows the most about scams to uh, to learn from him because he is now uh, he's, he's much older now. He is an FBI trainer. Mm-hmm. But through that, he I was talking to him before he did his 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 talk and yeah, asking about how he keep you know, how does a man his age keep up with cryptocurrency scams? Well, he's he's got fourteen thousand FBI agents in the field who report to them when they see something new, who report to them, and who he helps work through problems with them. One of the things he said: the criminal mind has not changed; they mm. just have new tools. Good movie, by the way. If you're looking for something, to yeah, go that's back a and fun one. That's, that Very is fun. A, a good movie. So, w- was this like part trade show as well? So, were there vendors there? Yes. So, there's vendors. Again, people who we may use as a service provider. There will be fund companies. Of course, all the big names are there that offer funds. But a lot of a lot of vendors that regular folks may have never heard of so people we use for software are there people who have brand new software one of the ones was an ai meeting assistant that i saw and he was very excited he gave me this full presentation he detailed and i was like wow this is like having an additional five people on staff tell me more how many how many meetings has your ai assistant done he was like oh well it is a tool we are launching and i was like oh you uh do i'm i'm interested but do tell me once it has a couple of meetings under its belt what what do these meeting notes look like can i you know are they going to be useful for me so uh, things like that are just tools. Also, very uh, very fun about this conference. Uh, TD Ameritrade and Schwab are big supporters of financial planning programs, uh, business programs, uh, investment programs at colleges, and so they bring in tons of students. And uh, we were actually paired with a mentee, which meant we we had someone who we were specifically contacting and talking to, which was a lot of fun. 
and also just being able to meet students from other colleges, seeing what the students are interested in. These are often very good <laughs> top tier schools and very high performing students. It's always great to see what the next generation is bringing up for us. All right. We've sort of been talking about inflation. What's the current inflation rate of Germany? We've got that for you next. We're glad you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms right here on MPB Think Radio. Again, according to Investment Monitor, the annual inflation rate as of August 2022 in Germany is 7.9% compared to 8.3% for the U.S. So we've had... Mm. Lower in Germany, uh, higher slightly in the U.K., and way higher in Turkey. But all of this says globally inflation is an issue right now. Mm-hmm. And um, there was an interesting article in The Economist um, because we've been beating up on our central bank, the Federal Reserve, saying, oh, it's all of their fault. They didn't act soon enough. They weren't aggressive enough to hold back inflation. And this article is looking at those countries that did jump in quickly, and one is Chile, and they were much more aggressive. And the end result is it didn't help. And so we're left, we talk in the office about, you know, what's going to slow down this train? Because we go back to Keynes and the animal Mm -hmm. spirits that got released, uh, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively after the pandemic, as we all came out of our houses. Mm -hmm. And we had money in the bank, we have spent all of that, that was uh, largely saved from the stimulus package. And now we're starting to see rises in credit card balances because people are still spending. You know, these guys went on um, this conference and they talked about the planes being absolutely loaded. Everybody is out there. Um, They are still flooding restaurants. Um, We're seeing it in those numbers, on the spending numbers. So, you know, when you have a tight labor market and people are working and they're getting decent raises and they're not too concerned about being able to swap to another job, they're going to continue spending. So, Ryder, what stops the train? Oh, I don't know what stops the train, but just like you said, people have very often kind of blamed the Federal Reserve and and monetary policy or blamed uh, Congress and fiscal policy. And look, it's election day, go vote, but also blame the politicians. I think that's a great idea all the time. Um, But also just folks spending, people having money in their hands from the stimulus, but also over the past several years, while rates were super low, people have money in their hands because they had investments that are doing well, because they were able to take cash out of their homes or do a HELOC and do remodels. So those are also <clears throat> fiscal stimu- stimulus stimuli that that added juice to the economy but a big unique thing right now is the supply chain issues again we've talked about it so many times if there even if the demand for some product cars stays exactly the same if you're making fewer cars the price of those cars is going to go up because there's the that same pool of money fighting over those cars. And there's going to be somebody willing to pay a little more. Just think of an auction. When it when, when something is in high demand, that price can go up. And, and so what, who is to blame? All of these parts play into it. But if you look over the past, what, at this point, like 13 years, since 2009, the Federal Reserve has been working really hard to make some inflation happen. And they have not been able to. Inflation right. has... They wanted it to happen. It has failed yeah. to 
reach. It has gone over in you know, this or that inflation report. It's gone over their, you know, quote unquote, two percent target, but it has failed to kind of sustain that over any long period. And actually, it's very interesting to me looking at from sometime in two thousand nine. The average inflation rate didn't hit 2% until January or February this year when we suddenly had that really high inflation. When we had that high inflation, it finally brought those long-term numbers up. Of course, it just kept overshooting, but when you still look at that long-term, it's not crazy high. So they did a lot of work to it, certainly contributed to it, but not as much as people thought and not nearly as quickly as as they would have hoped. And of course, the question is, why would the Federal Reserve want inflation, invite inflation? They were concerned about very low rates that gave them no room once we got into an economic issue to lower rates and stimulate the economy. Yeah. So they were trying to push it a little bit higher. They let it go a little bit higher. But we're seeing that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing is that this inflation is spreading, is broader, and we're starting to see companies being able to raise their prices. Okay, mm-hmm. I can raise my prices because consumers aren't blinking mm-hmm. at this point. Um, I think I told about going into a restaurant last week and, and the menu had all the prices blacked out. I just... placed my order and went my way. Um, So that is happening. And um, the concern is that whatever they're doing now, it takes a long time for really to settle in and that people are just going to just keep spending until we just kind of run out of steam. And, and another answer to the why would the Federal Reserve want inflation, a little bit of inflation, a little modest inflation. If people are expecting prices to be a little higher in the future, it encourages economic activity in all sorts mm, of ways. Yeah. If you expect that car to be a little more expensive next year, that maybe you'll buy it a little earlier. If a company expects they'll be able to sell a product for a little bit more next year, maybe they'll be more willing to invest in more production. So all of these economic activities with a little bit of inflation, it encourages us to go ahead and do them. Whereas, but, but not we, like Turkey. But not, not like, like Turkey. Turkey. We don't. We don't want to be encouraged too much. But we also don't want to be encouraged to just stop spending and say, "Oh, it's going to be cheaper next year." If everyone just suddenly said, "Oh, I'm not going to buy anything except food, water, and clothing uh, until next year because it's going to be cheaper," that would be devastating. Well, what I'm hearing now, because uh, mortgage rates are hitting in that seven percent range. And so certainly that has dampened the housing market, but I'm also hearing about people taking a strategy of, I'm going to buy this house, I'm going to get a 7% mortgage, and I feel pretty certain that in a few years, that rate is going to drop back to a more reasonable level, and I'll refi then. All right, let's wrap up the show with a call, and it's Carol in Batesville. Carol, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Thank you. I was wondering about inflation and the prices today compared to 2017, 2018, and 2019 before the pandemic. I understand that prices went up after 2020 and 2021, but where does the price of gas compare to what it was in 2017, a a loaf of bread to Mm. 2018, a gallon of milk and things like that? Oh, well, first of all, if you're talking about (laughs) milk and gasoline, those are two of the most volatile products that we have. And in many cases, they will carve out those I've numbers. I've seen cows. Cows aren't volatile, Nancy. What are you talking about? <laughs> They're yes, just standing yes, there. they can be. We're talking carbon emissions now. But um, 
<laughs> but that that's not a good measure to, uh, on those because they are so volatile and they fluctuate so much. One, so one thing I want to do, because I know we're right at the end here, uh, we can't, th- those numbers are so easy to get. I will, I, I promise when we do our next show on inflation, which we're discussing in the studio, maybe next week, maybe after next month's report, we'll have some good five-year numbers for some things that people are using every day. Tomatoes, potatoes. <laughs> Tomatoes yeah. and potatoes. Um, and, and so I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, the report's super easy to get the one-year comparison, but it wouldn't be that much trouble. I'm going to pull some five-year comparisons and see uh, how prices have changed because, again, it's been a, it's been an interesting five years, as you point out. Uh, prices have gone up a lot this year. They went A lot of them went down in 2020, and then you got a couple of normal years in there. So uh, that's a great question, and I promise you we will get some good numbers for you. All right, Carol, thanks for your call. Again, we will follow up on that on our next time we talk about inflation, which will be in the very near future, you can rest assured. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by the generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast, search for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.